And only what God can do, he is able. He is able. Amen. Well, I am honored uh, to introduce to you Pat Schlotzlein. Uh, we welcome him. Can we give a great big victory welcome to the evangelist, the man of God. We appreciate you. We love you. Amen. I've only known you a short time, but I love you and sense a kindred spirit. Hallelujah. Now listen, let's just talk about it for a second. Let's just talk about it. I wasn't expecting what, when I walked in here this morning to experience the freedom that is happening in this house. Can we get up? All right, let's do this. Many years ago, I, I was speaking in um, Australia, and uh, it was a big, uh, big youth event, and and uh, I'll never forget. It was thousands and thousands of young people there, and um, and uh, as I'm getting ready to walk on the stage, they're they're giving the cheer, they're all excited, and man, I was just drinking that in, and the Holy Spirit said to me, from this point on, you are never to do anything but give me praise when you walk up. And he said, or else I will not kiss the service. And so can we do something? Can we do something? Can we stand on our feet and give God 10 seconds of praise? Come on, let's do that. Come on. 10, 9, come on. 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2. Give him a shout, church. Oh, you're good, God. You're so good, God. Dry bones come alive. Hallelujah. Oh, my goodness. I feel so stirred up. I leaned over to, to my assistant, Jonathan, who travels with me, and I went, okay. He knows what I mean by that. Okay. All right. I'm honored to be here. You may be seated across this house, and I just want to stop for just a moment. And a dear friend of mine, a little over a year ago, texted me, and he said, I'm with a pastor friend, and I believe that you two are supposed to connect. Now, what you have to know about uh, Karen and I, my beautiful wife, by the way, she brings you greetings. She's my gift from God. There she is right there. How many of you know it don't matter if you're ugly as long as you're anointed, you get a hot wife, amen? So all you single boys, you better get a prayer life. It's going to be a long life. Anyway, but we've been married for almost 32 years, and, and uh, we've got two grandsons, and uh, uh, our beautiful daughter, Abby, goes to Southwestern University. Our son uh, was a youth pastor for a whole decade, and then now he's uh, leading an anti-human trafficking movement, and uh, uh, he and his wife, Adrian, and he's running for office, and God's really using them. But that's my whole family. So if you hear me mention Nate or you hear me mention Abby, Abby came and joined us when she was nine months old from China. Her first five American words are, my daddy's got a gun. Amen. She's homecoming princess at Southwestern this year, and I'm going, and I'm walking, and all these those little rednecks better watch it. <laughs> but, you know, Karen, and we travel the world speaking together, writing our books together. We do everything together, and, and our daughter was home this weekend, so she stayed back because we have a big conference this coming weekend, but she sends her love and her greetings. She just saw about 2,000 women in Pennsylvania come running and wailing. I was watching online as they're weeping as she preached on the glory of the Lord. And so our heartbeat is to serve. Our heartbeat is to take nothing, to walk in. We've traveled about 3 million miles around the world, and 
uh, six different continents, seeing God pour out his spirit. And, and, you know, when I got a text from a very good friend of mine, Pastor David Stewart, and uh, from Leo Minster, and he texted me and he said, you're, you're supposed to connect with this pastor. I said, okay, if you say so. Because we only travel for covenant, not contract. And next thing I know, I'm getting to meet you. Pastor Richard, I'm so honored to be with you and, and Pastor Lisa and, and the mantle that you carry and the, the weight. Can I just say a couple things to you? 32 years of how God has used this house here in Rhode Island, uh, which I believe there's a well of revival here. But, but one of the things I, I love is, number one, just the purity and integrity that I see with you too. The character, the authority that you walk in, the apostolic mantle that you walk in. And I, I truly believe that that the Lord brought us together. And I just want to say thank you for trusting me to stand in your place. Can we give it up for our pastors? Come on. Come on. It's all right. Let's show honor. Let's show honor for a second. Let's show honor. Come on, church. I know you already do, but honor rolls out a red carpet in your life. It opens doors you've never seen before. So I honor you. Thank you for trusting me. Thank you for letting me preach for five hours this morning. Thank you. Look at God. Won't he do it? <laughs> Oh, I'm stirred in my heart. I'm stirred in my heart as I get ready to move into this word. I want to say just a few things to you. You can check out our table back there. Everything that uh, if you decide you would like to by rebuilding the altar, the book that has swept around the world. And then we wrote a book that I'll share about tonight. I'm believing for miracles tonight. Karen and I wrote about in our book, Restore the Roar. It came out right before the pandemic, how the enemy will steal your breath. We had no clue through fear. Our publisher, Charisma, called us and said, how did you know this was coming? I said, we didn't. We just knew. But we wrote about when Karen was diagnosed with leukemia, and we knew it was a lie from the enemy. For one year, we prayed in the spirit day and night until it was broken and it was gone, and God rewrote her DNA. Tell more about it tonight. It's miraculous. But all the books we've written, her book, Dehydrated, or, or uh, my book, Unqualified. How many of you know God uses the unqualified? All you people that got it together, mm-mm. He uses the ones nobody else would choose. Or I am remnant. How many of you know we're living in a day where truth is a new hate speech? But God is awakening a remnant. That'll stand up and say it's about him. It's not about politics. It's not about donkeys or elephants. It's about lambs. It's about him. Turn off the news for about 30 days and see how he can restore your spirit. Whether it's CNN or MSNBC or Fox News or whatever you watch. I don't care. Turn it off. He took me through a season where he said, turn it off. Let me be God. That's what he said. And I want to tell you, even as I get ready to move into this word, I love the fact that you're going to Africa. My, my father is an apostle to Africa and, and uh, uh, Zimbabwe and, and I go to South Africa and I just I, I believe you're going to see miracles just miracles not it's not going to be a teaching conference it's going to be a miracle conference if you'll allow me for a few moments and by the way what I was going to say about the books is everything that for our books goes to Abby's house it's uh, named after our daughter but it's our home in Moldova for girls that have been rescued from human trafficking and and um but you're going to find out some things about me today. And that is that I'm just hungry. I'm desperate for his presence. 
And as I was praying about coming to be a part of what God is doing here in, in Providence and, and a, 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 an area, a place that was named after the glory and the, the, the authority of God. As I was praying, I said, Lord, what, what direction do you want me to go? Because uh, we write continually new messages. We continually stay focused, stay, stay in the heart of God. And, and he, he put in my spirit that I, I'm going to come and claim the ground this morning. And so you'll notice I, there's an altar up here. Now, I brought this to you because when we wrote the book, Rebuilding the Altar, and Pastor John Kilpatrick did the forward forward, and, and I'll never forget when we get, began to write this book, that's when we began to get attacked. Listen, if you're, if you're, if you're not coming up against the devil, it's because you flow with him. And, and I'll, get, I'll get deeper into that in just a moment, but in the process of writing that, I'll never forget as, as God began to stir our hearts and speak to us, he, he, he spoke to us and he said, you're going to put altars in pastors' homes. So I, I brought this as a gift to you. After today, this, this doesn't stay here. It goes to your home. It gets passed on to little Ezra. Yeah. But I must preach a message called the altered. Now, over the next few minutes, you're going to feel the glory of the Lord invade the room. And I just want to go ahead and tell you that when humanity meets divinity, that's an altar call. So at any point, Holy Spirit overwhelms you. This altar is open. Come cry out to him. And we just rebuke the devourer and we declare no disease in the, is in this room. COVID has no authority. In Jesus' name. But I, but I brought this to you as a gift, Pastor, because um, and you should see, I've, I've taken these to, from, to Portugal, to, to uh, uh, Europe, uh, uh, Brazil, uh, different places around the world. You should see us trying to get these through customs. That's fun. I'll never forget, I was in Rio, and I had taken one for a dear friend of mine that pastors one of the most powerful churches in the world there. And, and I'm, my, we, we had carried it uh, through customs, and I walked past the customs office, as I'm leaving the airport and I see my assistant sitting in there being questioned and I didn't even acknowledge him. I just went, mm -mm. no, only need for one of us to go to jail, amen? But I called you this week and I said, you know, I told you, that. I said, that box that arrived, that's for you. But these are built and prayed over by a precious elderly gentleman. But, but I must get into God's word if, if, that's, uh, if that's all right with you. Because could it be that the dwelling place of God and his glory has been hijacked by the relevance of man's message? In a day and age where we've gotten really good at having church without the Holy Spirit, in a day and age of Father, Son, and Holy Scripture, could it be that we removed one-third of the Trinity? And when you take one-third from 100, 33.3 from 100 leaves the number 66.6. The spirit of the anti-Christ or the spirit of the anti-anointed. Because we're living in a day and age where we've locked Holy Spirit out. Because we don't want him to offend anyone. anyone. Can I just give you a clue real quick? I have been, I have spoke to two million teenagers around the world. I've never seen a teenager afraid of the Holy Spirit, just my generation. Because what if he were to invade the room right now? 
What if he were to wander this room and begin to touch and heal bodies? He's going to do that in the next few minutes. But I've got to get into this because I want you to grab your Bibles and look at Luke chapter 15. I love Luke 15. Uh, It's one of my, it's if not my favorite chapter in the Bible because it's the lost chapter. It speaks of the lost coin, the lost sheep, the lost son. It's the anatomy of lostness. It's why people are lost. The lost coin got lost because somebody mishandled it. The lost sheep got lost because he wandered off. The lost son got lost because he made bad decisions. Pastor Lisa came up here and began to sing about the prodigal. I turned around, turned to Pastor, and I said, Oh, I'm preaching on that. Because it's my favorite altar call in the Bible. Now, you have to understand, I was told when I began to preach this message by some very well known leaders in the church, by the way, Pat, if you preach that message, you'll get canceled all over America. I was told it will harm your finances. I remember one morning I'm on my my knees praying and we were under extreme attack while writing the book, Rebuilding the Altar, that the altar is not a piece of wood, it's a lifestyle. It's every day. Being a mobile upper room, when you walk into a place, demons ought to be diving out windows. Something should transpire when you come into the place because who has inhabited you? If you were to mail a letter to the Holy Spirit, you'd mail it to yourself. You're not the Holy Spirit, but he lives in you. And I was warned, don't write this book. Don't. And I'll never forget, I was on my knees one morning and I said, Lord, if, I keep, if Karen and I write this book, we won't have a place to preach. And the Lord spoke to me. He said, I'd rather be a man without a church than a bridegroom without a bride. He said, you do what I tell you to do. See, there's a moment when you get to a place where you don't care what nobody thinks anymore. Or a moment where you don't care if culture cancels you because I already broke up with culture. It's not you, it's me. Got to go. And when you begin to shift in that mindset and begin to say, wait a minute, I'm going to stand for righteousness, purity, holiness, lost words today. You need to understand as I move into this word, you're going to feel that unction. But I love the lost chapter. See, I've learned you can only preach where you've survived. And as God continually gives you those Matthew 16, 19 keys to the kingdom, that means power and authority, he gives you little keys. He has a giant keychain. Little keys open big doors. I I could go deeper into that, something he showed me six years ago. But I've got to share this with you because I I want to get to heaven with nothing left to do. And I don't want to be out of place when I get to heaven. But I love what it says in Luke, the 15th chapter, and I'll I'll probably stop midway through this scripture and then bring it back at the end again. The Bible says, so he got up and he went to his papa. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. The word compassion there is black cheese namoa in the Greek, and it means to ache from within your bowels. I'll never forget several years ago, we write about this in Rebuilding the Altar. Several years ago, uh, my son was in high school, and he was a big high school football player. And at the time, we lived in Birmingham, Alabama. It's before we moved to Texas. And, and, and I'll never forget, he's playing for this big high school. He's being recruited all over America, was, was recruited at, 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 at UMass to come play football. All these different places were trying to get him because he had the grades, but he also had the athletic ability. And, and God began to give my wife and I dreams. We have a sleep disorder called revelation. 
all right? Our kids hate it because they get spankings before they did stuff. Amen. And I'll never forget one night God gave Karen and I both a dream that our son was killed in a car accident. The next morning we're out for our morning walk and, and I began to share with her about the dream I had. She had the exact same dream. So I sold his car. I'm being serious. I did. I don't care. My name's on it. And so, because I still believe the parent's the parent. Anybody helping me with that? I still believe we have the authority over the house. Amen. This isn't the Lord of the Flies. And, but we begin to realize that this was a prophetic dream of a spiritual nature. We begin to realize that our son was under attack. Our seed. Mom and dad, can I say something about that for a second? If you don't declare their identity, the world will take it. In a day and age where the very confusion in culture is coming against our kids. The lies of the enemy. Putting a fist in the face of God, denying how they were born. You need to understand I'm politically incorrect 95% of the time. And the other 5%, I'm still politically incorrect. Because I don't care. I will fight for a generation. One of my mentors, Pastor Reinhard Bunke, who, who died two years ago, he um, was very dear to me, would call me. Bunke led 78 million people to Christ but, uh, in, in Africa. And, but he, he would call me and we would talk. And, and I'm reminded of one of my favorite quotes of him. He says, I, I'm immune to the criticism of man because I'm immune to the praise of man. But I'll never forget, Nate was under attack and we knew it. We, were, we could feel that we were losing him. And he was being recruited and going on these recruiting trips for football and being exposed to some really demonic things and getting involved in those things. And we knew we were at war for the promise on his life. And I'll, I'll never forget, I was speaking in South Texas at the time. And all of a sudden, we kept praying, we kept praying. And he called and he said, Mom and Dad, I need to tell you about some things I've got to get right. I flew home and I ran to him, literally, and embraced him. But I remember right before that, it was his senior year of high school, and all of a sudden, one morning, where everybody's running around the house getting ready for school. My daughter's in second grade. Nate's a senior in high school. And everybody's running around. We're just trying to get out the door. It's a busy morning, like, you know, it, you know just grab food, go type of thing. And, and all of a sudden, as we're walking through the house, all of a sudden, Nate goes, Dad, somebody's on the back porch. Abby go, Daddy, somebody's back there. Karen goes, Pat, somebody's on our back porch. We had a privacy fence in this little yard and a little porch in the back. And I looked back out there, and I saw what you would think of the, the Grim Reaper or a death angel just standing there like this. Well, being a redneck, I'm ready to fight at all times. Amen? I mean, we don't even know why. We're just like, let's go. We even take off our shirts because Mama said don't tear your shirt. And so... I literally went running out the door, and it was gone. And I said, Lord, what was that? He said, the enemy's visiting your house. Build me an altar. And war broke out. It would lead to that phone call from our son. Let, let me finish this scripture. Go back to that for a second, and then I'll come back around. But it says, so he got up, and he went to his papa. But while he was still a long ways off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son. I'm going to teach you why he ran in a minute threw his arms around him and kissed him. 
Do you know why I love this? This is my favorite altar call in the Bible. I was actually told by a lot of theologians, there's no altar calls in the Bible. The whole Bible is an altar call. If you could write one word on the front of your Bible, it would be redeemed. It means to purchase with blood. Job, the oldest book of the Bible, understood that. But as I prepared to teach you about the altar, again, I brought this for you. It doesn't stay here after tonight. So what I'm about to share with you is, can be considered by many as old school, out of touch. Emotional platitudes that are best kept under wraps for fear of endangering the comfort of the compromised. And in a day and age where a lot of churches are like Hollywood movie sets, they look great on the outside, but there's nothing past the front door. In fact, I was told by one guy when we started writing this, he said, that's old school. You can't preach that. I'm like, I'm, I'm, right now I'm 52. And I was like, really? Another guy said, you're becoming a dinosaur of ministry. And I started to get offended till I realized that when dinosaurs die, they leave oil for the next generation. But I'll never forget when God began to speak this word to Karen and I about the altar. And, and it, 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 it began like this. I was preaching for the late Steve Hill's church. Steve, uh, I was at his church and he's already in heaven. And I, we, we served on his board of directors. And, and I'm preaching there and all of a sudden a man brings me an altar. We're known all over America, well, around the world for our altar calls. I've literally seen thousands come running in the middle of the message. We wrote about it. My, I wrote about it in my book, Why Is God So Mad at Me? Because literally sometimes when we preach on the identity of God, people's scars disappear. Cutters, scars. Shared about it on television. Miracles. But as we got ready, to, to write this, uh, somebody, all of, a, a gentleman, all of a sudden brings me this altar on a Sunday morning. I'm getting to preach. It's before we moved to, to Texas. And, and, and I walk in to preach, and he said, the Lord told me to build this for you. And it's the man that now builds all these for us. The first altar is in my home. We've moved several times. It's the first piece of furniture in our house. But what he didn't realize is several months before that at our international board meeting for our ministry, a dear friend of mine from San Diego, he's a brilliant scientist and prophet, walks up to me and he's very dear to me and Dr. Mark Spitzbergen, he walks up to me and he goes, Pat, I must tell you something. We just wrapped up a whole day of meetings for our ministry, checking our integrity, looking at the books, checking every aspect of who we are. And he said, the Lord told me to tell you he wants to tie you to the altar. And I went, okay. Weird, but okay. Prophets are weird. I said, got it. Okay. But I couldn't get rid of it. It started driving me crazy, so I went to Romans 12.1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to make yourself a living sacrifice. I kept studying it, the power of the altar. The altar is a filthy place. It's a gross place. But it's not a piece of wood. It's a lifestyle. So I began to study it. I began to pray. I love Psalm 5, verse 3. Every morning you'll hear me at it again. This is the, my wife's scripture that she had every day when she was battling leukemia. Every morning you'll hear me at it again. So I lay the pieces of my life on the altar and wait on your fire to descend. I love Matthew chapter 6. 
Jesus is teaching how to pray. But I, I love where it says in one version, it says, go in the room, shut the door behind you, and you won't be tempted. Get, kick everybody out. You won't be tempted to role play before God. You'll just be you. The power of the encounter. What would happen in the next few minutes if that happens in this room? For those of you that have been dry, weary, and exhausted and being pulled on from every direction and living in fear in this nation for two years, the, the constant onslaught, the political divisiveness, all the different things that are going on, what would happen if he just breathed on you? Is that real today? I don't really believe in all that, Pat. Cool. <laughs> cool. I've been through just enough where it's all I want. Somebody help me preach this morning. Give my God a praise. Come on, church. Because I want to live somewhere between amen and there it is. And so what you have to understand is I began to study this. I started going deeper and deeper. I didn't understand it. And, and I started studying. And, and so, so finally, I write this down. Tie me to the altar. In the day and age of raising up the Saul generation that loves worship more than word because it soothes their demons. In a day and age where we've locked Holy Spirit in the street as a beggar because we've got our microwave Christianity, ask me how much I love the fact that you're doing one service for a while. Because in a divided nation, we've got to come and lock arms and do war. I love it. So I, I began to study. It tied me to the altar. I didn't understand it. So I went to Psalms chapter 118, verse 27. It says, God is the Lord. He's given us the light. Uh, bind the sacrifice with cords, the horns of the altar. I said, okay, well, what does that mean? So the Lord took me over to 2 Corinthians verse, chapter 5, verse 14. For the love of God constrains me. It's like taking an oversized pillow and putting it in a smaller box. You take the form of God. He becomes your boundaries. I started thinking deeper about it. Uh, I started going into it and I thought about John chapter 15. He's the vine, I'm the branch. Apart from him, I can be nothing. I'm tied to him. Tie me back to you, God. Not people, not plaudits, not opinions, not what everybody else tries to do. Not, not everybody's new ideas or somebody's fresh revelation. I want to be tied back to you because he became our altar. In other words, tie me back to the place that changed me. Take me back to that eight year old kid see my father was a drug dealer on the streets of Detroit he got saved when I was five he worked for the mafia we moved south sometime after that and 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 he and then he would later get filled with the spirit he rewrote our family's DNA that started as an altar at a toilet in Detroit Michigan where he flushed two thousand dollars worth of dope down Kamold. no one had ever been saved in my family five years old I'm exposed to this thing it would change everything. And how many of you know if you're a drug dealer and you get saved, you become a preacher? It's a rule. It's a rule. So the altar isn't necessarily some piece of wood or some. It, the altar is a place of encounter where you met him at, where he changed you. It's, it's, it's one morning, Karen and I are health coaches, and we've helped thousands and thousands take their health back. So this is before I took my health back, but I was trying to jog in Singapore one morning before a big event, and I'm out jogging, and really I was just loitering, amen. You get what I, I was walking. 
And I said, Lord, I just, I just want to finish the race first. And, you know, you say silly stuff when you're praying. And, and he said, I'm not looking for those that finish the race first, Pat. I'm looking for those that can finish the race with a limp called brokenness. That was an altar moment, an encounter moment. It's, it's places where you meet him. It's me in a hotel room in Arkansas one time before I went to bed. I said, Lord, I want to see you in my dreams. My mother taught me to pray that. I want to see you in my dreams, Lord. And I went to sleep, and at 1.30 in the morning, the glory of the Lord filled the hotel room in Arkansas. And I have never been that afraid in my life. And I woke up, and I was weeping, and I said, please don't come any closer. I've never been that afraid. The glory, the auspiciousness of God would is lost in this generation the auspiciousness of him and all of a sudden I could see his hand and I could see his foot that both nail scarred and he said and 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 I said I said Lord and he said Pat if you'll give me everything I'll give you everything if you tell a generation to give me everything I'll give them everything and he was gone and the rest of the night I never went to sleep I just wept before him Ask, seek, and knock, a perpetual term in the Bible. It means never stop asking, never stop seeking, never stop knocking. It's continual. It's a process. So in other words, tie me back to you, Lord. Tie me. You know, we come to the altar when we're born. They dedicate us. When we, when we get married, we come to the altar many times. When, when we die, they put our casket at the altar. Why, why don't we visit every now and then in between? Pastor says something like, all right, church, we're going to come down to the altar. And like, well, I got to get out of here. We've got, we've got travel ball. We've got soccer. We've got to get to the restaurant. We've got to beat the Baptist there. They've already beat you. And instead of realizing it took thousands of years for him to make that one statement, please come to the altar. It's not a cheap statement. So in other words, tie me, tie me back to the place that changed me God now you may not realize it in a few moments I'm going to plant this altar and when you do it's going to rain because all through God's word whether it's first kings uh, or 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 whether it's Amos when you begin to see the altar rebuilt when Ezra rebuilt when you see the remnant cam comes home but when you whenever you plant an altar the fire comes and then the rain then the anointing of the next generation the Elishas the farmers because if it's going to rain you got to have a farmer follow it that's why Amos says he stands at the altar making judgments. But then Amos 9.11, the reaper overtakes the plowman. Tabernacle of David's restored. The very scripture that was read the day Israel became a nation in the synagogues. Amos 9.11. But all through God's word, when you begin to talk about planting an altar, so in a few minutes, I'm going to put an altar right here. And what you have to realize is it's going to rain. But in other words, tie me back to the place that that eight-year-old kid that was laying in my father's lap at an Assemblies of God youth camp and said, Dad, don't make me go to bed till I get baptized in the Spirit. And at one in the morning, I did. Or the 16-year-old kid that was radically running from God, wanting nothing to do with the church because I saw too much. Preacher's kid. Saw too much. And I said, God, if you're real, you've got to come into my room. And at three in the morning, he did. I write about it. Tie me back to those moments that shifted me, that changed me. Not mama's gospel, not daddy's gospel, the gospel. Tie me back to the place that changes. Tie me, 
to the altar. It's, it's when you begin to understand we are the remnant. We are those that will no longer squander the daylight with things that do not matter, but live waiting for night to fall when men have fear in their hearts. That is when their light from God shines ever so bright as they climb upon the altar. It's Philippians 3. I want to know you in the fellowship of your sufferings, oh God. It's a, it's a shifting mindset. Can I just say this to you? An entertaining God without an encountering God is producing a bride whose relationship is determined by presentation. We're creating an adulterous bride. I know this is a different word, but you got to get this because this house is ready for it because there's something coming to this place. I'm going to prophesy for a second. And I, when I say I'm going to share something from the Lord, I, will, I do that with fear and trembling because if you say something is from God and it's not, that's witchcraft. But I'm telling you, the Lord told me to tell this house, he is coming. He told me to tell you this is the year of the prodigal awakening. He told me to tell you that he's going to bring them in on the highways and the byways. He told me to tell you that many of you have been at warfare with culture and with family. And God is saying, when I walk in, none of that exists anymore. He says, I'm going to pour out my spirit. Some of you are contending off prayers. Your grandmother prayed over you. There's a deposit of faith that was put in you that God is now kissing. Man, I feel him. So you go ahead and stay home tonight. But we're plowing this morning for the miracle tonight. Faith. But see, you have to understand, in order to truly understand the altered, you must become frustrated. Are you frustrated? I'm frustrated that grace is being preached without accountability. When grace is the most beautiful word God gave us. The very nine definitions of the throne of God is the words that grace comes from, the same definitions from grace. Titus 2, it's an empowerment to live a godly life, not do whatever I want. So you have to understand, I'm, I'm frustrated that in many churches today, what they want you to preach with a feather and not a sword. Because God is separating the sheep from the goats and a goat will eat anything. The sheep know his voice. Frustrated with celebrity Christianity. The only red carpet in the Bible is where the blood of the martyrs was spilled. In fact, I prophesied this and wrote it right before when the pandemic hit. And I wrote, wrote an article for my publisher and it went viral. And I said how the church must become different now. Because now we're locked out of the church. Now we know how he feels in Revelation 3. Standing there banging. Maybe when we come back in this time, we'll invite him in with us. And I said one of the things you're going to see is you're going to see massive moral failure come to light for those that have built their entire ministry off stage presence and not his presence and it's happening my son called me a couple days ago to, because Nate was speaking at every major conference in, the, in America until he stepped into his new role and he said dad it's happening and you have to understand what I, I don't take joy in that my heart's broken for their families but it's Matthew 22 verse 14 many get invited but only a few are going to make it 
Do you understand the true definition of grace? Is God accepts me as I am, but he loves me too much to leave me that way. Dare we say to our children that our nation was destroyed because we who had a voice decided that the price to speak was more costly than the freedom. God literally brought many of you as missionaries into this nation. What are you doing with it? He tapped you on the shoulder. He whispered in your ear and he blew upon your face and said, I'm going to send you to America. You're going to go get schooling. You're going to come into this place and you're going to be someone that I send from another land in a lost, dark land that has become much like Europe. And he said, and God said, but what are you doing with it? Have you become so indoctrinated with the knowledge and education and, and, and Western Hemisphere mindset that you're now afraid to be the voice of heaven? I'm telling you, forgive me. This is, I'm listening. Matthew 10, 27, what I whisper to you in the dark, you'll proclaim it on the rooftops. So I listen for the whisper every day. Some of you like the shout. I like the whisper. The whisper guides me in every aspect of my life. And what you have to understand is we're, I'm being stirred in my heart to begin to say to you, get ready because he's creating the frustration. What do you mean? Some of you are frustrated. Frustration and agitation are the mother of intercession. God will frustrate you because he's got more for you because sitting Christians hatch hypocrites. He said, I'm the one that's frustrating you. You're mad at your family. You're mad at your boss. You're mad at this, that. He said, it's me. He said, I'm the one that's frustrating you. It's Ecclesiastes where, where Solomon said, frustration is better than laughter because a sad face is good for the heart. God says, I will frustrate you to get you to another level. You're frustrated with the things that are happening to the next generation where they're being defined by, by someone in a classroom. You're the identity giver. You're the gatekeeper. You're the seed bearer. You have to understand you're the one that declares the anointing. It's Romans, the eighth chapter, for creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the one who subjected it and hoped that creation would be liberated from its bondage and brought into the glorious freedom of God. In other words, God says, I will subject you to frustration to get you desperate again. Somebody help me preach for a second. I, I'm trying to give something. And what God sent me to tell you was he's altering you right now. He's altering your DNA. He's stirring your spirit right now. Are you getting this? Our busyness has created a, hey, just hold on a minute, God. Wouldn't it be awesome if we didn't just need Jesus for another miracle but knew him as our friend? And what you have to know is, as I move deeper into this, God sent me to share this with you. We must rebuild the place of encounter in our homes, in our car. On the train going to work. Listen, I believe this with every part of me. The altar is the place where what you've been gets interrupted by what you can become. It's the place where God begins to stir you. It's Joel 1.13, put on sackcloth, you priest, and mourn and wail while you minister before the altar, the place of change is the, the the shifting I'm sorry I have found that this type of message isn't working very well in America unless they're hungry that's why when I said I only come for covenant I will not go anymore I'm tired of being everybody's once a year Holy Spirit guy I get invited to a lot of places once amen ha <laughs> But 
God says, I'm going to do something at victory. I'm going to move here in this place. It's James 4, 8. Come near to God. He comes near to you. In other words, it's precipitous. It means I must step out first because he's going to say, are you hungry? Come to me. The business card of Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Continually, he says, come to me. Come to me. When the prodigal got up and began to walk, Father took off running. It is something that has to happen. It's an obedience factor where God says, you step out first. And so all through his word, see, he talks about the power of the altar. I love what Leonard Ravenhill said. He's one of my favorites, one of my heroes of the faith. He said the greatest miracle that God came back into that unholy world and keep him holy in it. When I used to preach in New York, in the city, when I would preach in New York City for Pastor David Wilkerson, I'll never forget one time I walked around the corner and I was just walking down in Manhattan. As I walk around the corner, because I'm there to preach that weekend, I, I walked right into him. And he was, he's not a big man, maybe five foot five. And I, I'll never forget the minute I saw him, I was stricken with fear. But not from the man, from something in him that said, you better be ready if you stand in my pulpit. Don't play. And so when you begin to study God's word, it's Psalms 84 verse 3, even a sparrow has a place near your altar, O Lord. We don't need any more plastic surgery hospitals when people are dying of cancer in the church. And what you have to realize is God is saying, I want to be back in my church again when we benedicted him out of the order of service and we've got it all put together and everything is perfect and everything is organized. You know what I love? You put no limits on me. You said you do. Whatever God tells you to do. And what you have to understand, we have allowed the inoculation of a powerful Savior that has been reduced to a societal hoax. All the while, he's screaming, come to me and find rest. God is saying, I'm looking for you. It's the, it's the Elijah mandate that he put on me. I was out in Dallas in 2012, and I was getting ready to speak at a, a big graduation. And, uh, and I'm out jogging that morning, and all of a sudden, as I get to the corner in Dallas, all of a sudden, as I'm standing there, just, just catching my breath, God says, I'm going to awaken the remnant. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know we'd eventually change our name, our ministry to, to Remnant. I didn't know we'd write a, I would write a book called I Am Remnant that was a bestseller even in Korea. God says, I'm going to, but it's what God told Elijah that day when he got done rebuilding the altar. Remember that? Calls down, fire, rebuilds the altar. The fire of God blows the dust off the altar. Prophets of Baal are acting out. Cutting themselves, cutting's not new. And then all of a sudden, God's glory comes and burns up the sacrifice on the altar. But what did Elijah do? He took off running because of Jezebel's threats. It's the most powerful day in church history at that moment. Why? Because your best Sunday is your pastor's worst Monday. Yeah. Yeah, and that's why he takes off running, and finally, finally he ends up in a cave, and, and he says, God, I'm the only one left, and he said, hold on, big boy, you ain't the only one left, get over your spiritual narcissism, there's 700 who haven't bowed.
that Obadiah has been feeding in the caves. But it's that anointing that says, I'm going to shift everything. It's the John, one voice of one crying in the wilderness, and I must, I must wrap up. Oh, we've almost gone as long as a movie. Hold on. The loss of the altar call in the church has, tried to, has caused us to try to force demons out with motivation. And they don't bow to that. I love what William Booth said. He's one of my heroes. And William Booth said this probably 159, 160 years ago. He said, he said this, the chief danger that confronts the coming century will be religion without the Holy Ghost, Christianity without Christ, forgiveness without repentance, salvation without regeneration, politics without God, heaven without hell. Hello, America. In a day and age where we have decided the life of an unborn belongs to some political party. I'm sorry it doesn't. It's his. And I, I want you to understand my heart when I share this with you. There is no judgment being thrown from up here. I'm saying we must get back to what matters. Why? To remove the altars to banish Jesus. I'm almost done. The foundation of everything we do is about redemption. All through the Bible, from cover to cover, it was about our search to be able to get to God. We were separated at the garden. See, a lot of people don't even know when the first altar was built. I'll tell you when it was built. It was not Cain and Abel. That was the first tithe. But the first offering that was built, or altar, excuse me, that was built, was Noah. 370 days. He ends up on Mount something for God. He's so high up. I just climbed a 14,200-foot mountain uh, last summer. I'm doing it again this summer in Colorado. And after 10,500, there is no oxygen. Nothing grows. It's when you get up into that 11,000, 12,000 feet that you're sitting there going, <gasps> you better train. He lands on top of the mountain. It's so high up, there's no wood. And he decides he wants to make an altar for God. God did not ask for it. So he takes the doors off the ark and begins to sacrifice the animals. And God came near and said, I'll never do this again to the earth. God so honored his sacrifice. The, the cross reference to that is, here's one man that had been saved and he and his family from the flood. The cross reference to that is, one man that gave his life for everyone. Out of his belly shall flow floods. He became the door on a cross but all through God's word it's about the altar Leviticus chapter 6 keep the fire burning on the altar Leviticus chapter 9 it speaks of bringing your tithe the offer to, to the altar all through God's word it was about the altar it's Abraham take your son your only son whom, whom you love and lay him on the altar it's a prophecy of Christ three day journey Servant said, where are you going? He said, I go worship. What you call sacrifice, God calls worship. He didn't say to lay what you hate on the altar. We all love to do that, but lay what you love. What did he have? All he had with him, the Bible says, was a knife, fire, and wood. All it takes to have church. The word of God. The fire of the Holy Ghost. The temple. But all through God's word, it was about getting to the altar. But we couldn't get to the altar. We had no way to the altar because the high priest stood in the way. Only he could talk to God. So we would bring the sacrifice. We would put it on the altar. The high priest would bless it. God would come near and breathe upon it. But we didn't want that. We wanted to have a personal God. Somebody help me preach for a second. We wanted to have an encountering God. I needed the 16-year-old father that would walk into my bedroom and say, Pat, I'm with you. 
We needed a lamb. In order to have the altar, we needed a perfect lamb, a lamb's skin that covered the nakedness of man, a lamb's blood that would mark the first doorpost, the doorpost, keeping the death angel out, the first helmet of salvation. We're looking for a perfect lamb. Isaiah prophesied that a spotless lamb was coming. Isaiah 53 led to the slaughter who opened it on his mouth. But we couldn't find him, so we went through years and, 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 sacrifices and we went through ceremonies but we couldn't get to God we needed to get to God we were desperate to get to God so we needed a perfect lamb somebody help me preach for a second till all of a sudden John the Baptist would step up one day and he would say oh behold the lamb and then Jesus was suddenly on the scene Yeshua the Messiah had come to redeem all men he went about doing miracle after miracle casting out demons, calming storms feeding the hungry healing the sick but that's not why he came so many miracles all the books of the world couldn't hold them but that's not why he came that's called chilling when you're God he came because we needed a lamb so I could get to the altar. Pastor says, come to the altar. We'll hit it next week. The kids are tired or the kids are hungry. No, they're starving spiritually. How dare we? How dare we get to the place where you're too busy to let your babies experience him? He's about to come in. I feel him getting stronger and closer. We needed. See, the altar was expensive, church. It's not cheap. We needed a mediator between God and man. We needed somebody, Hebrews 4, who understood what we've been through. We needed a high priest. So when Jesus got ready to go to the altar, he didn't or go to the cross, he didn't just go there. He would go through eight different places just to get to our altar. He would begin to carry. Pilate would condemn him. He who knew no sin became condemnation. Eight different places. The Catholic Church believes 12. He would accept the cross so I could carry it for him. Simon would carry it, a man from another nation. Carry it. He would speak to the women of Israel and say, Don't weep for me, weep for your kids. They would tear his garments off of him so I could put on a garment of praise. It wasn't easy. They would nail him to the tree between two thieves yesterday and tomorrow, but he lives in my today. And then he would care for his mother. He'd say, thank you for housing the Holy Spirit. Soon 120 will, and then the whole world will. And then he would die. He would declare it was finished. And at that moment, the lamb would become a lion with such a roar that it would rip through six foot of religion in a wall called Holy of Holies. At that moment, he would say, I thirst, I forgive, it's finished. The attitude of the cross, because I couldn't get to the altar. I needed someone. But see, you don't understand, when he went into the grave, he didn't stay there. Because he would not be the risen, resurrection lamb of God at that point. If he'd have been dead, he'd have been like every other world religion. But at the moment... At the moment that he stood up do you understand church the curse of death was broken over me and you the Bible says in Hebrews 
that his body became the curtain for me to go to the altar you're not getting this yes yet so at the moment he stretched his arms out on the cross and said I love you this much as they ripped his body to shreds at that moment his body became the place for Pat for Richard for Lisa to be able to step through and go and wrap themselves around him because the Bible says he became the altar from which man cannot eat. Do you understand? That means he is holy and he, he created that moment where I could tie myself to the altar. He became sin who knew no sin. Romans 8 says he became my identity. So when you hear, when you read about the fact that God the Father looked at him and walked away because he said, Father, why have you forsaken me? You know why, the, you know why God the Father walked away? Because he didn't see his son anymore. He saw Pat. Because he became me on the cross so I could become him to the world. Somebody help me preach first. I'm trying to help y'all. outran the village we all know the story of the prodigal it's a beautiful story it's an amazing story but we don't really understand that story not only does it represent the Gentile and the Jewish nation the older brothers the Jewish nation didn't know how to receive his inheritance the Gentile nation which is didn't know how to, to accept the father's love we're, we're both in, <laughs> in mortal combat for that right there The Bible says that this Jewish boy goes off and wastes his inheritance. My last name is, was Schatz, lean when it came, when we came to Ellis Island. They changed it, German Jew family. So I've studied the Jewish culture. My father has a doctorate in it because he may have been a drug addict with no brain cells left, but God can fix it in one night. Amen. But I love studying the traditions at times. And what you have to understand is the Bible says he wanders off, he wastes his inheritance. Every Jewish boy is given two inheritances. You waste one, you're out. And the Bible says that he went and wasted his inheritance. Ended up in pig stop, slop. Working for a pig farmer. Hello? Until one day he says, you know what? My father's servants are eating better. And there's a reason why he said that. Because the only way he could go home was to go back as a slave. Because there's still something that, that exists this day called the Kazaza. And Kazaza means the cutting off. At the moment he would have reached the city limits or the town limits, the whole village would have ran out and broken a pot of burnt beans and corn on the ground, which means you cut off, you belong to us until you work off your debt to your family. So when the Bible says he gets up and he's walking home, but he doesn't realize that his dad's been watching for him every day. His dad's not watching for him just because he misses his boy. 
His dad's watching for him because he's got to outrun the village that's going to accuse him. And so when the Bible says he sees him a long ways off, he takes off running. And the reason why he took off running because he was outrunning the accuser of the brethren. You ain't helping me with this. And all of a sudden, when he gets to his boy, he falls upon him and begins to kiss him. The only other time you'll find that term is in Acts chapter 2 when the Holy Spirit fell upon the church. But he begins to kiss him, but he says something to him. He says, get dressed. But a lot of people don't realize that he said, put my ring on. Put my coat on. Put my shoes on. Because when they get here, I don't want them to see the Son. I want them to see the Father. Help me, church. you got to get a hold of this. And here's what the Lord sent me to share with you. Jonathan, come help me. God's about to move. And it's going to build into tonight. But I got to plant this altar first. It reclaims the land. The rain comes. If you would, when I, when I plant this altar, just stand at that moment. But it's going to reclaim your house, your children, your finances. Your health. The next generation anointing. Every time the altar was built, it was about the next generation. You're going to see a restoration of your inheritance. Some of you have not. I, I, saw, I saw this a moment ago. Some of you have had oppressedness around your brain since this pandemic hit. Leanness. Just confusion. Discouragement, depression. At the moment this altar is planted, that's going to lift off of you. And the joy of the Lord is going to overwhelm you like it did Nehemiah. It's time to reign. God is not done with Providence, Rhode Island. He's not done with America. So today... We reclaim the land. Pastors, you two come here. Come here, please. You must be the first ones to your altar.
Start crying out. I'm about to give an altar call. Actually, I've been doing it for about an hour. What's the place where I am free? So tie me to the altar. It's the place where I am free. It's the place where you restore me. Oh, it's the place where I can see. Now I would be held an indictment of my office as an evangelist if I did not do this next part. The Bible says, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible says, if I confess his name, he is Lord. If I confess and believe in my heart, all over this house, every eye shut, I got to do what the Holy Spirit tells me to do. So tie me to the altar, Lord. Every eye shut across this place, God says, today is the day of reckoning. He has been running towards you throughout this service. He's been saying, I want you back. I want you back. I want all of you back. I want every part of you back. I want you back. I want you to trust again. I want, to ex I want you to, there are people in this room that have wandered. Maybe you got thrown away. Mishandled. Wandered off. Made bad decisions. And God is saying, today I can restore your identity in this room. The righteousness of God. I can restore your heart. No matter what you've done or what you've walked into or no matter what's come against you. With every eye should, there are some broken hearts in this room. There's a mom in here that is grieving. Your baby was robbed from you. Led away in captivity. But there are people in this room, this is level one, where God is saying, I want everyone in this house to come back to me and, and desire me. So with every eye shut across this place, if you say, Pat, I need God to change me, forgive me, and restore me now, raise your hand. Raise it up. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's hands going up all over this house. I love it. Oh, won't you tie me? So tie me to the altar. 
Would you raise the other hand now with that hand? Come on. Who cares what anybody thinks? I don't care. I care less what anybody thinks when it comes to my encounter with God. So with your hands raised across this place, pray it boldly. Say, Jesus. No, no, no. I don't want you to pray. Hold on just a second, John. I don't want you to say it like that. I want you to say it like you would be screaming if your baby was about to walk out in front of a car. That kind of unction to get their attention. So you ready? Say, Jesus. Do you understand at the moment you just said that all of heaven st stopped? All of the angels froze. <coughs> now say it out loud. Jesus. I, I need you. <laughs> say Jesus. Forgive me. Restore me. I want all of you. This day. I sell out to you. You are the Christ. The one true God. Jesus. Help. He's running towards your church and he's falling on you now. Cry out to him across this house. Cry out to him across this house. Cry out to him across this house. Cry out to him. Cry out to him. Why do you pray in the spirit like that? Because I can. Why would I not use weapons that God gave me? So all over this house, if you need healing in your body, raise your hands. Some of you still have <coughs> residual from COVID. God's going to heal your lungs. Chronic fatigue broken in Jesus' name. Kidneys being restored. With your hands raised, you have just plugged into the altar. There is no sickness in heaven we break every demonic lie of the enemy in Jesus name so all over the house when I count to three scream out tie me to the altar at the moment you do that healing's going to hit your body because he is the altar he became the altar when I declare three you're going to say tie me to the altar and get ready because he's going to show you at that moment a restoration of your heart but he's even going to show you some things you got to fix in your house The very things we would have never allowed in before the pandemic now is normal. Whether it's on Hulu, Netflix, or Amazon, or whatever it is. Stuff we would have never let in is now normal. The enemy has made us dumb, leanness. We've allowed quail to land in our living room. Not manna. And God still knows the recipe to manna. So all over this house, if you say, I am ready to be completely radically tied to him no matter what he may cause it may cause some some real crazy shifting in you it may cause you to, to have to avoid some relationships for a while but if you need this for your marriage it'll heal your marriage when i count to three scream out tie me to the altar one two three say it out loud
It's the place where I am free. It's the place where you will meet me, oh Lord. It's the place where I can see. So tie me to the altar. Oh, the place where I am free. The place where I'm restored. It's the place where I can see. Somebody say, Jesus, you're all that matters. Place where I can experience him. It's the place where I am free. So tie me to the altar. I'm boldly approaching your throne, Lord. Jesus. It's a place where I am. If you have lost children I want you to begin to cry out right now and you're going to say simply this devil you have no authority they're not your seed they're my seed so in Jesus name prodigals come home family restored it is my promise they shall be restored they will be a part of the remnant and God will use them their story will be his story grace will overwhelm them identity restored today we win tomorrow we win in eternity we win Jesus have your way with them Church, I believe tonight is going to be powerful. Football's over. What if tonight was the night where healing happened? What if we came in here with expectation? Came in here. What if you spent the afternoon praying in the Spirit? Inviting every sick person you know. I, I, I don't, I, I'm not, I'm telling you. God could do this. We've seen blinded eyes open. We've seen deaf ears open. We've seen people restored and healed. If God chooses to do it, awesome. If not, he's still faithful. But tonight is going to be special. Tonight we're going to break fear. When you break fear, everything changes. Pastor, would you join me?